Welcome to Season 5 of On The Job, a podcast about finding your life's work. On The Job is brought to you by Express Employment Professionals, a leading staffing provider that employs nearly 600,000 people annually across more than 830 franchise locations in the U.S., Canada, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. Our vision is to help as many people as possible find good jobs by helping as many clients as possible find good people. Whether you're looking for your first job or you're seeking a new challenge in your career, Express Employment Professionals will be with you every step of the way. We understand what it takes to land a new position at a top employer in today's job market. Plus, we never charge a fee to find you a job. And just like finding a job, finding the best people to fill open positions in your company requires more than sorting through applications. It takes real people, real interviews, discovering the skills you need. At Express, We find people for jobs and companies of all sizes and industries, from the production floor to the front office to the C-suite. Express knows jobs. Get to know Express. This is On The Job, a podcast about finding your life's work. On The Job is brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. This season, we're bringing you stories of folks following their passion to carve their own career path. To start off this season, I wanted to focus on a kind of overlooked occupation, a job that if you're good at it, people might not know that you're doing it. All right, I'm recording. Working in sales. So for this episode, I talked to a guy named Chris in Baltimore. Chris Lundy, 42 years old. Wow. Sheesh. He is a clinical oncology specialist. Which basically is a fancy term for I sell cancer drugs. Chris has worn a lot of hats besides being a pharmaceutical rep in his career, but he says that no matter what it was, he was born to sell, and so were you. We've all been we've all been selling. We just didn't know it. If you've ever dated, you've sold. <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe not successfully, but yeah. <laughs> maybe not successfully. But think about that, right? You gotta you gotta a lot of times you gotta go to someone who's a perfect stranger. And you have to bring that person along a continuum that makes this perfect stranger kiss you. It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships, man. Thank you. That's the the point. (laughs) The dating game aside, he's right. We do all sell each other on ideas constantly. We convince people to think about us differently by how we dress, by what our social media looks like. And Chris's approach to sales is that people really can tell when someone's not being real. I think that everybody has a like authenticity radar. I really do. And I think that if, if people sense that, like, wait a second, this guy's not, something, something's fishy about him, I think they start to close up, you know? He says that's what sets him apart. There are a lot of salespeople who will treat their clients like a walking dollar sign and say anything to sell their product. To me, I just, I can't do any of that stuff. You got to be authentic because again, you're trying to convince someone to think differently. You're trying to convince someone to behave differently. It's not, hey, here's a, 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 a pen that I want you to buy. Give me money. I'll give you this pen. I'm trying to change your behavior. I'm trying to get it to the point where every time a patient comes in with disease X, you think about me and you think about my product. That's a behavior, man. The Chris you're hearing now, that's the Chris whose job it is to be likable, to constantly be talking to people and generally be pretty extroverted. 
But growing up just outside of D.C. as a kid, he was a lot different. I kind of was like a little loner geek kind of kid. I loved comic books. You know, I remember my mother used to talk about that, how I could be in my room uh, and if it weren't for having to eat food, I could be in my room for like eight, nine hours. Just I didn't pay I didn't pay a lot of attention to the real world. My, my mind was always, always daydreaming, always, all the time. That was his life for a while in his own world. His favorite comic book hero was Adam Warlock. He kept to himself right up until about the 10th grade. Uh, I remember writing an essay. I don't even remember what it, was, what it was about. The teacher was Mr. Howard. It looked like he wasn't even sure that I actually wrote it. Like he may have suspected plagiarism or something like that. And so, and Wait, I was, like he took you, like he made you like stay after class yes, or something to, yep. because he thought you didn't write it. Well, it's not that he was being accusatory. It was more like disbelief. You know, like where I'm from, man, like I'm, I'm kind of from like the hood, man, you know, so you don't get a whole bunch of uh, like writing talent. So I think that it just really stood out for him. And he pauses and looks at me. He goes, you're a really good writer. Do you know that? The proof was there. He had won essay and speech contests before, but he didn't figure it was because he was good. I thought other people sucked, <laughs> you know? So it took a while to, to realize, like, wait a second, wait a second. Maybe, maybe it's not that everybody else runs slow. Maybe I am actually fast. I don't know. It just kind of took off. I just started talking more, sharing the thoughts I had instead of suppressing them. And people, people, you know, liked it. It worked. This late blooming moment really set him on the trajectory to where he is now. I don't know. It just changed overnight, it seemed. And all of a sudden, I was like Mr. Social, extrovert, you know, A-type personality, homecoming king, captain of the football team. It was, yeah, it was, it, it was not gradual. After high school, he went off to college and got an English degree, where he was also acting in plays and had his own radio show on campus. I started to really hone my skills in terms of communicating and sharing ideas. The first big job he got out of school before pharma was working with the Philadelphia Eagles in the PR department. Media relations. So everything from setting up interviews, let's say ESPN wanted to talk to our quarterback or something, you know, um, I would facilitate that. He was basically the liaison between players and the public. So his skill set would kick in during moments where, say, he and some players might stop at a Wendy's while on the road and inevitably get crowded by fans asking for autographs. My job, one of the things I had to do, I had to be the no guy. Because you can't have a superstar player, you know, shutting people down, telling them no, they look bad. So I had to be the bad guy. Having lived in Philly myself for a couple of years, I can say that they're not fans that like being told no. <laughs> exactly. And I guess, like, what is the biggest thing you learned from that job? Win. Like, win. Like, nobody wants to hear this, that, or that. Like, you got to win. At the end of the day, what's your record? I've got an NFC championship ring. I, when I pull it out, people think it's a Super Bowl ring because it's big and it's full of diamonds and stuff. It's not a Super Bowl ring. Like, we weren't that proud of that ring. It's an NFC championship ring, which means there was a ring that was bigger than that. And that's the ring we wanted. We'll get back to the story in a second. First, a word from Express Employment Professionals. A strong work ethic takes pride in a job well done. This is you. 
But to get an honest day's work, you need a callback. You need a job. Express Employment Professionals can help. We'll connect you to the right company. We're committed to your success and never charge a fee to find you a job. Express knows jobs. Get to know Express. Find your location at expresspros.com or on the Express Jobs app. Now, back to On the Job. After the NFL, he wanted to make the leap to pharmaceutical sales. So he went for a job at Merck, a huge company. And they basically said, you were in media relations. You don't have any experience in sales. And I tried, I had to explain to them, listen, every day I have to convince young millionaires, egotistical millionaires to do things that they don't want to do. You know, and if you don't think that's sales, then I, I don't know what to tell you, you know. And so that that line actually got me in the door. So he could obviously talk the talk, but the job isn't selling a product to the general public. It's selling life-saving drugs to medical professionals. And they don't know you, so the trust isn't there. You know, you're, you're trying to convince a doctor to practice a certain way. And this guy knows that he's got more education than you. He's got more expertise than you, but he's supposed to listen to what you're telling him to do. Like, that's insane. The marketing department would train reps to go in with fancy graphs and selling points, but Chris did the exact opposite, meeting with doctors for multiple appointments without mentioning his product at all. And so I started by asking questions like, what's important to you? What do you not care about? Tell me about your patients. What are your needs? What keeps you up at night? Those kinds of things. I'm saying, tell me about you. And then once the relationship is set and once that rapport is there, now we can talk about what I have to offer and what I what I can do and, you know, provide for you and your patients. In an old-fashioned industry full of reps just trying to sell, 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 Chris's authenticity started to really shine through. Yeah, and once I saw, like, my numbers start to reflect what I was actually doing, I was like, how about that? I wanted to get Mr. Howard on the line and tell him, look, man. <laughs> he cut his teeth selling around New York City, where the competition was fierce. And there was one experience early on in his career that really stuck with him. So there was this doctor. He was huge. He had an office in like a nice area in New York. I don't remember where this was, but it, it was nice, fancy, nice, pretty office. You couldn't see this doc. You go in, there's there's other reps from other companies all over the place. You'd wait for two hours and still barely even get, you know, 10 seconds with this guy. Chris and the other reps noticed that this doctor was never there on Tuesdays. They all assumed it was his day off. But after some digging, Chris found out those weren't his off days. Tuesdays? were his Pitkin Avenue days. Pitkin Avenue is the avenue in Brooklyn that you do not want to go to, right? Like, you go down Pitkin Avenue, you're getting robbed, you're getting mugged, something's going wrong, it's a dangerous part of town. Turns out, that doctor was from a pretty rough neighborhood, and those were his days to give back to the community at a small clinic. So Chris decided that's where he'd go. I understand that I'll, pro- I'll probably get my my uh, wheels and rims stolen from my car, but I'm going to Pitkin Avenue. And I went in and I told the uh, receptionist that, you know, I was a pharmaceutical rep. And she looked at me like I was an alien. Like, what? Like, uh, we're, act- we're actually getting a pharmaceutical rep here? Like, are you sure you want to be here? After about an hour, he got to see the doctor. He was so 
happy. He, he, first, of all, first, he was shocked because no one went there. And he was happy that he was actually getting attention at this location, at Pickin Avenue, for his patients on Pickin Frickin Avenue. And then the doctor started to criticize farmer reps he'd interacted with because they'll always go to the fancy office, but never there. Because there's not a lot of money in it, right? You got a lot of patients on like state care or governmental care. It's not a nice, fun, easy place to go. And that's how Chris started building a relationship with this doctor. To the point where at the plush office, I was able to walk in and reps were like, man, like, what are you doing going back? How's he getting back there? But that's what it was. I went to Pickin Avenue. I served him where he needed to be served. I carry that everywhere I go. What do you need? I mean, think about it, right? In sales, you go to a used car lot. That car salesman isn't thinking about what you need. He's thinking about how can I get what I want out of you, right? And so if you're a salesperson, but your lead foot is what do you need? Man, you just differentiated yourself right there, right off the break. You're not like the others. So that's really gets on the point of like, when I think a lot of people think of sales as a occupation, they probably think of like the used car guy, but, um, to go back to your comic book days, do you think you use your powers for good? I do. I do. I see and also work with people who don't. And when we're talking about the pharmaceutical industry, we're talking about a lot of money. So yeah, there, there's a lot of negative stigma, you know, that comes with it. Um, and it's unfortunate because the people who do do it the right way, they really are like changing people's lives. Chris started off in primary care, generic drugs. And now that he works with cancer drugs, it's different. He'll go into an appointment talking about a drug that could help a particular patient. And the next appointment, that patient's no longer with us. You know, like we can't even pick up on the conversation because the patient is gone. It's a much more urgent world over here. There are real stakes involved. This isn't just pollen allergy meds. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is life or death over here. Was there ever a moment in your career where you thought this is why I do what I do? Um, a couple years back, we were at a sales conference and they brought in an elderly woman who had stage four lung cancer. That's usually, uh, you know, like, all right, see you. See you later. Get your affairs in order kind of thing. The woman told a story about how her grandson was trying to lift her spirits and made her promise to go skydiving with him later that year. And now her, she was convinced that she wasn't, you know, going to be around long. So sure, skydiving, no problem. I mean, it didn't matter what he said. He could say, we're, we're going to go to Mars. She'd be like, yep. And she was telling us this story. And then behind her, they pull up the picture of her jumping out of the plane. She lived because of our drug and she kept her promise that she never thought she would have to with her grandson. Her, they both jumped out of a plane together. To hear that story and to see that image, it's like, damn, like, yo, we really are helping save people's actual lives. Just throwing a scenario your way, you sold the drug to her doctor that saved her life and allowed her to have this moment 
and she never knows your name. How do you feel about that? That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, that's okay because um, we won. Like we we went to the playoffs. We we got the big ring, you know. So yeah, that's it. Doesn't it doesn't matter. The job got done. For on the job, I'm Otis Gray. Thanks for listening to On The Job, brought to you by Express Employment Professionals. This season of On The Job is produced by Audiation. The episodes were written and produced by me, Otis Gray. Our executive producer is Sandy Smollins. The show is mixed by Matt Noble for Audiation Studios at The Loft in Bronxville, New York. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. Find us on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll see you next time for more inspiring stories about discovering your life's work.